college can be a rewarding experience. Learning new ideas, opening up your mind, meeting new people, making friends, going out, sleeping in. But college can also be stressful. There's projects, assignments, jobs, and side hustles. The cult of productivity in culture today is burning us out, so episode 4 is on just that, hustle culture. I'm Tim Sieberger. I'm Catherine Hernandez. And I'm Seth Sarate. This is Culture, a podcast about the cult side of pop culture where we question society's behavioral patterns to find out why we act the way we do. The term hustle culture has been talked about a lot lately. A New York Times article titled Why Are Young People Pretending to Love Work highlighted 10-hour workdays, thank God it's Monday mentalities, and the rise and grind mindset that thrives in places like LinkedIn and in shared office spaces like WeWorks. Its popularity has risen because of people like Mark Cuban and Elon Musk who promote this insane work ethic on all their social media accounts. It's about skipping meals, not showering, and taking the tougher path all for productivity's sake. Others, like Yahoo CEO Marissa Mayer, talk about how it's necessary to work in the office on weekends, work from home less often, and even time your bathroom breaks to be successful. Rather than diving deeper into the subject, today's episode is going to be all about showing how hustle culture can affect people for better or for worse. We followed people who are always hustling and talked to them to see about how being productive affects their everyday lives. When you think of hustle culture, Usually the first people that you think of are those that are working at tech startups or a financial broker working 18-hour days. Teachers are people who are often left out of the conversation and are some of the hardest working and most neglected workers in our society. I'm at the 46th Street Station in Astoria and it's 7.50 in the morning. I'm with Professor Colin Gray Campbell, an adjunct English professor and PhD candidate who teaches at two colleges in the city. For the sake of his privacy, he has withheld where he teaches. I know, but you won't get to know. This is his work life, in his own words. My first question to you is, how many hours did you sleep last night? Three to four. Is that the usual? Sometimes. Okay, so what's the usual, like? Five to six. Five to six, okay. And so what does your schedule look like today? I teach from 9 to 10.30, then I come home and then I conduct some unpaid labor, and then I have lunch, conduct some more unpaid labor, and then go, and, th- and then I, and I'm free until 4 when I have to commute again, and then I teach from 5 to 7, and then I come home and have dinner. 
And so what does that unpaid labor look like? That's like grading papers? Yeah, that's like planning lessons, grading papers, and r right now, at, on this very day, uh, designing an exam and then rewriting another one, basically from scratch. And so have you experienced burnout? I have, yeah. And it usually has to do with early class start times. So for some semesters, including next semester, uh, I'll teach from 7.30 a.m. onwards. So that means that I have to wake up at 5.30 and then be out the door at 6.30 and then teach from 7.30 until 1.30. Uh, that'll be next semester, but it, a similar pattern has been the case for other, other semesters. Uh, early school start times are not necessarily good for developing brains like those of 18 year old, 18 to 22 year olds. Uh, you know, empirical studies have shown that, but they're not necessarily good for the professors conducting classes either, unless they are truly larks, unless they're truly early morning people, uh, but for a variety of reasons, but really because uh, often people can't teach as well as they normally can on uh, a lot of sleep. And as an adjunct professor, I get the, I often get the graveyard shifts and you know the early morning shifts and that kind of thing, because um, that's that's how they treat me. That's that's uh, how I'm regarded as a, a component of the of the workforce. Do you make enough to pay for health insurance? Is that provided for you? That's a good question. Uh, no, I do not make enough to pay for good health insurance. Uh, and CUNY, one of the schools where I regularly teach. Um, does not provide health insurance that I consider good enough. We have to change strains now. Sorry. So I'm lucky enough to have a husband who is a registered nurse and I get insurance through him. So I really lucked out. Uh, but um, otherwise, you know, honestly, if I didn't have him, I would, uh, I'd be at the soup kitchen a lot of the time. So, yeah. So, the the the, the way I get paid, um, some universities they pay adjunct seven thousand dollars per course, like Fordham and NYU. Other universities, like CUNY, they pay their adjuncts under four thousand dollars, about thirty-eight hundred per course. And then one university, like the one I'm about to teach. A private college um, with big money donors, it only pays its adjunct professors $2,900 per course. So I'm teaching two classes there now, I'll be teaching three classes there next semester. So um, they, as a cost saving measure, they really, uh, they don't pay us a lot of money. So we don't, um, in an expensive city like this, you know, where rent prices are very high, food prices are very high, we don't get, um, we get the short end of the stick a lot of the time. Is it still realistic to confine your workday to eight hours today? And I'm not just talking about being a professor, but just in general. No, absolutely not. No, no, no. I, I, I wouldn't expect an eight-hour workday from academia because you, you only teach a certain number of hours, whether you're teaching four classes or five classes or whatever, per week. But the, a lot of what you're doing is work outside the classroom, work on behalf of students, work uh, for the course in general, 
And then there's also the other half of the profession, which is writing. And so uh, that can be limitless. That can take however long you want it to take. So there's no, there's no real prospect of a eight-hour workday for people like me, unless you rigorously design your day so as to uh, only include eight hours of labor. Hustling has become such a necessary factor in how creators work because the current culture demands so much content from modern day creators. And in the college setting, the whole setup of hustle culture is even worse. As college students, creatives are pressured to produce work for their portfolios in order to get hired. In an already competitive job market, students have to create so much more in order to be even noticed during the job hiring process. At Baruch College, the school that we go to, Creative Inquiry Day is a day for students to showcase their projects, both academic and personal, that they've been working on. It also just so happens to be in the same day as Steph's interview with Colin. I followed around two friends of mine, Britt Moley and Bianca Nita V. Montiello. Britt is a 23-year-old English major at Baruch and is the managing editor at Encounters Magazine, Baruch's literary and arts magazine, and she's a creative writer. Bianca is a 21-year-old journalism major and the editor-in-chief of Encounters Magazine. Today, Britt and Bianca are frantically running around, trying to get their displays ready, making sure they know how to present their work, and going over last-minute details. I talked to Britt first about her experience as a creative writer and being burnt out. I'm like totally out of my element right now. Mm, what would be your element? What is your element? Um, should I have control over? <laughs> um, my lack of control is like concerning to my mental health. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you're gonna be fine. You're gonna be fine. You're gonna be great. Okay, talk to me more about the process of writing. Yeah. So basically, it has been quite the fucking journey of sleepless nights and caffeine. I talk about a seven part process, writing process. Um, however, it's usually more like a 70 part <laughs> writing process because I feel like things can always be, um, you know, there's always room for growth, you know? There's always room for improvement, so, yeah. Do you feel like the work you produce, do you feel pressure to make more of it? Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's pressure. I feel like it's more like excitement, like I just wanna do more. I feel like before, like, you know that thing where, that feeling where you know nothing, but you feel like you know everything, and once you know more, you're like, shit, I really, or I really know nothing, <laughs> and I just wanna know more, and I just wanna do more. Like, I wanna see myself, like, go so far and beyond where I'm at now, because I know I have so much potential after this semester and this project. Do you think that sometimes you get burned out in the whole process? Oh yeah, totally. Totally, absolutely. Especially like with like time restraints, you know? Um, and considering like you can't be like, oh, can I have an extension? Because you can't extend a whole event. You know what I mean? Or like postpone a whole event. Um, so that's definitely been like a pressure factor. But also like it kind of like forced me to really evaluate what I was doing 
and you know help me not procrastinate <laughs> so there was that what are some things that you feel as a creative artist folks hustle culture has like somewhat of a detriment um definitely like something that's always like in the back of my mind is like am i living up to like the reputation that I have or like as other people see me like I always want to put like my best work forward like of course I want to like present myself in like the best light that I can but I feel like that's a huge pressure every single time and I feel like that's why I kind of go through such like a lengthy process to produce one piece is because I can like write something and in the moment I'll be like wow this is great I'll go back to it maybe like a, even a couple hours later it could be a day later but what if it's like a couple hours later whatever I'll be like, wow, this is trash, and people are gonna hate this because of like the amazing work that I've produced before. And I feel like that puts like a really, really like, it's like, it gets in your head, like it's like mind games. Like you feel like you have this, um, like there's an expectation of you, you have to live up to a standard. Do you feel like because people nowadays, we're kind of living in a like technological society where because things are so easily accessible, people want more from oh, certain yeah. like kinds of content. You feel like that affects the work that gets produced? Yeah, absolutely. It, like that is the whole thing why people don't sleep and like why we're all dying is because everybody wants everything now. Like they don't want to wait. As soon as you release something, you know your audience is like, wow, that was amazing. When's the next one coming out? I want more. Like everybody's always looking for more, more, more. And like it's so hard to find that balance between okay creating and then resting so that my creation can be better. After talking with Britt, I had a conversation with Bianca about what it means to be an artist in today's content-oriented culture. <laughs> so, how are we feeling? Nothing. You feeling nothing? How come? Nothing is happening. Is this giving you some time to rest or is this stressing you out more? Stressing me out more. I prefer to be doing stuff right now. I might just leave for a bit and come back because I'm like, this is nothing is really happening. Um, I think like that's interesting. The fact that you just said that, like you just want to, like you're not doing anything now, so you want to go make something. Do you always feel like you have to be producing something? I don't think I have to always be producing something, but... I feel more satisfied when I'm doing stuff. Like, I know that it's framed by like a capitalistic mindset where it's kind of like, oh, if you're not being productive, then like it's a waste of time. But like, I feel like I'm good at being productive and the way in which I'm being productive is actually really beneficial for me intellectually. And like, it feels stimulating in a way that like, it's like I'm feeling empowered and it's like, I want to continue to do that. As someone who has always been invested in art, like as I grew up, art was like a pastime. And then as, as I got older and more invested and like wanted to really formalize it and realize that like I could do something with it, I realized that I could no longer be passive about it. And so like the things that I w once found like complete leisure in were now work. So my, my, my pastime is my work. And like in a way it feels a lot more satisfying because of that, but then it's like, like, Brandon and I have this issue all the time where we talk about it, and it's like, I don't know how to unwind. I don't know how to have, like, just a good time, or, like, I don't know how to do nothing, you know? And it's like, 
it, it, it's double-edged because it's like I don't feel bad about it but I do know it takes it takes a huge impact in terms of like how I build relationships and like what relationships seem worthy to me I'm like oh like is this gonna help me recreationally or is this gonna help me with my work you know and then it's like I, I tend to pay more attention to the ones that are more productive and then it's like oh wait but like that's not what friendship is you know so it, I'm definitely having a lot of issues in trying to figure that out for myself John, can you speak to the pressure that you feel creatives have in terms of not just creating specific content, but like the quality yeah. content that they make? Do you feel that that, how do you feel that, feel that gets affected by hustle culture? I mean, I think that in this culture where it's becoming okay to make your work you, it becomes a very direct reflection of yourself. So it's like if your work isn't up to par, it's not like, oh, this is something I'm making. It's like, this is me. You know, and it's like if you're not putting it to that standard, it's like it's a terrible reflection on yourself. And it's like I sometimes view people with that same lens. And then it's like when I do something that's like not to part, I'm like, oh, I was just like messing around. And it's like it's something that like I feel like we all have to try and unlearn that creating isn't a reflection of you. It's a, it is an extension of you, but it's an extension that you should be more caring with, you know, way more gentle with. Influencers tend to get a bad rap in culture today. Some say their lives are too performative and too highly curated all for their Instagram feeds and that it's actually not real. But what if your entire influencer brand is built on talking about your mental health? And what if you're not just an influencer? Vivian Nunez is a 26-year-old creator freelancer from New York City. She's a contributor for Forbes magazine, has a podcast, speaks at UN events around the world, and manages social media accounts for different companies. She's also the founder of TooDamnYoung.com, a blog dedicated to addressing grief for young people. On her Instagram, which, by the way, has 19,000 followers, you'll find the occasional film-like photo of her smiling against a brick wall, but you'll also find quotes from her about taking time for mental self-care, or maybe talking about the death of her mother and grandmother when she was young. For having so many followers on her Instagram, her page feels a little more homey and personal than the average influencer. Her schedule varies day to day, and almost all of her life is dedicated to her personal brand right now. To give you some perspective, I caught up with her while she was eating lunch, and she told me that she had to shoot and post three Instagram story takeovers after our interview that day. How many hours do you think you're working a day? I think it's a better question to ask me how many hours I'm not working a day, and usually it's when I'm <laughs> sleeping. <laughs> um, because whether I'm actually actively working at my computer, or whether I'm thinking about it, whether I'm, you know, I put out IG stories on my own platform and they take a long time to create because whether you're filming them and like I like making sure that they're aesthetically pleasing and so there's like a theme throughout them and I'm designing the theme as it is. It's not a template. So it takes longer than people kind of assume and but it's fun. So mm -hmm. like even the work that I'm doing that is on my phone or just thinking about different projects and things that I want to tackle it's fun. And so I can tell you honestly, and you know, it'll change depending on the seasons of life I'm in. But right now I'm working literally all the hours that I'm not sleeping. When I was researching, a lot of mm -hmm. your work also kind of focuses on your identity. So like for Forbes, you're writing a lot of Latino stories. Mm -hmm. um, you had the podcast itself. You have Too Damn Young, which focuses a lot on what you're going through. Um, does putting your like, life out there um, ever become like taxating? 
Oh my god. I think that people underestimate the... I'm going to call it influencer culture for lack of a better term. Sure. But people underestimate how taxing that is on your personal life or how taxing it is on you. Like you Googled me and you found out that my mom had died. My grandmother had died. I have anxiety. I have depression. I am 26. I live in New York. I, you probably found pictures of my boyfriend. You saw pictures of me. You saw pictures of my friends. You saw pictures of the places I like to work out of. You basically just don't know my birthday. And even that, there are posts about my birthday. So you probably were able to estimate that I was born in December and that I was born in the 90s. What does burnout look like to you in your life as a freelancer? I think I operate in a way where I've learned what my red flags are, right? But I think for me, burnout is less of what, like, if you Google burnout right now, what it'll be defined as. It'll be more about how do I know I'm actually tired? And it doesn't have to be a rock bottom moment because I think burnout right now is described as a synonymous of like a rock bottom, you've lost it all kind of moment. It's not that. It's like, wow, I'm really sleepy. Like at three in the afternoon, that's probably because I haven't slept well. And how do I make sure to like remedy that? So I think that's how I look at it now is like burnout for me is less of a deep end kind of thing and more just how do I make sure that I don't get to the point where I get to Friday and I'm like so excited for the weekend because I haven't been treating myself kindly Monday through Friday. Have there ever been moments as a freelancer where you have been kind of financially stressed out with maybe with working with a client or there are just mid moments like that? I think it's hard when you start out because... You kind of say yes to everything and then you because you need the money and so then you realize like crap this is a really bad client to work with you know I I learned from those mistakes and have like a questionnaire ask my clients or have calls that I like help me vet out who's going to be good to work with who won't be I have guidelines when it comes to like emails like you cannot email me after like you can email me after five I won't respond right or you can email me before nine I just won't respond and I won't respond on weekends now I'm definitely not mm-hmm. out here trying to paint freelancing as this bad thing that just might take a huge toll on <laughs> your health in different ways. Um, so that being said, what do you enjoy about being a freelancer? I love it. I mean, I will not would not have the career I have right now if I wasn't where I am right now. Like if I didn't have the flexibility, if I didn't have the time. Like I've been able to travel to give speeches and stuff because I can take my job anywhere with me. Is the trade-off between your mental and financial mm-hmm. health and the satisfaction of being a freelancer worth it to you? Like anything, right? As long as you have boundaries, it doesn't impact your mental or financial health as much as it's written out to be, right? Like I think that the articles around hustle culture depicted in this way that makes it so horrible and makes it seem like everything is going to fall apart in like 0.53 seconds, but I don't think it is. I think hustle becomes a bad word when you define it as hustle and so I ignore the rest of my responsibilities which includes responsibilities to myself, right? Which includes like eating healthy, showering. Like, you know what I mean? Like things that are really basic needs, that's when it becomes a bad word. But I think that hustle as a whole isn't this bad thing. It's just a thing that we have. It's the only word we have to use to name the thing that we're living through now. But that's the lack of vocabulary and dictionary around it doesn't make it automatically a bad thing. It just means it's this new thing we're trying to figure out and navigate as a whole because it's the first time that it's presented itself in this exact way. And we're all just trying to figure out what our boundaries are within it and what makes sense for us.
So Seth talked to Colin about the stress of being an adjunct professor. Kat talked to Britt and Bianca about the stress of being in college and being a freelancer and a creative. And I talked to Vivian about what it's like to do that full time. But now we need to talk to an expert about what it all means. Dr. Urban Schoenfeld is a professor of psychology at City College and is an expert on how the workplace environment affects people. In the past, he studied the stress of self-employed workers, or as we like to call them, freelancers. In a qualitative study conducted with Joseph Mazzola, he spoke with freelancers about their experiences and found that most love the creativity and the freedom in the work, but there are also some horror stories that come with it. One guy was a, um, a software expert, and he had a contract to help a businessman implement some software package. And they were working on a Friday, and it was getting late. It was getting like about 10 o'clock, and the uh, software specialist was at the business of at this particular business, and he said to the head of the business, "Well, well, we still have a little ways to go." Um, and and the uh, the businessman said, "Well, how much longer is it going to take?" And 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 the uh, the person I interviewed said that, "Well, it might go another three hours. It might go like to one in the morning." She said, "Okay, oh, wow. let's pick it up on Monday." So he comes in on Monday. And a businessman chews him out for not having finished on Friday. Just completely contradicted himself, uh, contradicted what he said on Friday, and refused to pay. These tense situations and the fear of not being paid leads to what he calls apprehension anxiety. Workers are more apprehensive to buy expensive things like furniture or a dishwasher because they don't know if they'll be paid for their work and then won't know if they'll be able to pay for those things. Look, it's a little bit like Hollywood. You know, in Hollywood, there's a few people who make a lot of money, and then there's a lot more people who are just uh, hanging on. And in, among the self-employed, that, that's something that you see. There's a, there's a few people who are doing very well, but there's a lot of people who feel uh, financial stress. Like I said before, Dr. Schoenfeld has studied workplace stress extensively. Early in his career, he was a schoolteacher at a low-income school, and he experienced firsthand as to how stressed out teachers can be, and that's actually why he studied the subject in the first place. What he found amongst teachers in stressful workplaces were depressive symptoms and lower self-esteem, but there was also one symptom that seemed to come up quite often. Exhaustion. Exhaustion seems to be the common denominator of all the different measures of burnout. And you could think of exhaustion on a continuum, or you can think of it as um, categorical, like somebody is so exhausted that they can't go to work and they need to take off, or they're not exhausted. When diagnosing a mental disorder, Dr. Schoenfeld says that there are two common ways, categorically and dimensionally. Think of it like this. Categorical means you either have it or you don't, like a sinus infection. Dimensional, on the other hand, diagnoses a disorder on a scale, kind of like diagnosing autism on a spectrum. Burnout has historically been diagnosed categorically. Dr. Schoenfeld says that there are tests created by famous psychologists like Christina Maslach and Sigmund Freudberg used to categorically diagnose patients for burnout. But when you test patients for burnout on a dimensional scale, it gives more insight as to what the root cause of burnout actually is. Dr. Schoenfeld, along with Renzo Bianchi and Eric Laurent, studied 5,575 school teachers and found some very interesting insights. So when we do research on, on, on burnout and depression, 
and we treat both burnout or we treat burnout and depression dimensionally, like um, temperature, mm-hmm. we get very high correlations between emotional exhaustion, burnout's core, and depressive symptoms. It's very, very high. Too high to suggest that the two different scales are measuring different things. What this means is that this huge conversation that we're having in our culture surrounding burnout is actually a conversation about depression. The DSM-5 is a handbook of mental disorders used to diagnose patients. Inside it, exhaustion is one of the key symptoms of depression. People's depressive symptoms tend to go unnoticed because people don't know that exhaustion may lead to depression, and their clinicians may just not pick up on that. But Dr. Schoenfeld said it's important to know that this study diagnosed depression dimensionally, so you may just have depressive symptoms. Or you may just have workplace dissatisfaction. But the key difference, Dr. Schoenfeld says, is that you should see a psychologist because the psychological symptoms of burnt out, like exhaustion, could be the psychological symptoms of depression, and the clinician may not notice that. But while it may seem like the Maslach test and the Freudberg test don't really do a good enough job of diagnosing burnout because they do it categorically, Dr. Schoenfeld says that they have both helped so much around the conversation of burnout. Now, I think he might have been uh, a little bit wrong in, 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 in claiming it's, um, it's burnout, not depression. But I, th- I think we owe him and Christina Maslach uh, a debt for pointing the way to get more and more people to think about uh, how um, adverse working conditions could have this uh, baleful effect on people's psychological health. So one of the interesting things about Hosa culture is the fact that whether it's good or not, it produces a sense of respect as your person or in regards to your person when it comes to you as a professional. The idea is that if you produce and you produce and you produce and it's good enough content that people will consume it, then you'll have a, a, a following. You'll have people who will give you respect. And for me, that's kind of how I came into contact with Britt and Bianca. There are two creatives who I respect and admire a lot who are constantly producing and constantly hustling and produce great work. But the issue with that is that I went from an admirer to a person who became their friend. And in that friendship, you kind of see more of a twisted side of things. You see more of the restless nights. You see more of the struggles that they go through. As creatives, you see the struggle that they go through in trying to produce quality content while being met with deadline after deadline and the own pressures that they feel within themselves. So, Britt and Bianca, because of their work in Encounters magazines these past few years, um, just their work is what made them stand out to me. And then as I got closer to them, their character and how their hustle kind of like solidified a lot of the personalities that they have now. Uh, If you hear me that I'm a little bit out of breath, it's mainly because I'm walking home 
from my last final of the semester. And usually, people are very excited after the last final of the semester. But that's not my case. Because I, <laughs> because I still have one last final project to do. Yay. 10-page research paper. Shout out to Professor Izquierdo for being one of the best translation professors ever. But also <laughs> for recognizing the good work that I can produce and therefore asking more of it from me. So shout out to you, my man. Um, this semester has been a series of emotional ups and downs. I, I, in this semester, have realized what my limits are. And I realized that I haven't pushed myself to them often enough to realize my full potential. And the issue in that is the whole idea that, yes, you can produce and you can create and you can put forward work at a consistent basis, but there's also a rest period. There's also a time that you need to dedicate to yourself. As of right now, my schedule is still pretty packed. I have to submit this paper. Um, I have to go to work in the morning at 8.30. And yeah, usually people think summer, yay, time off. No. Um, my parents are ministers and our church is holding a summer Bible school and church events all throughout the summer. So I'm definitely going to be working on that. And I work full time over the summer. So it's less yay less work and more so mm, yeah no it's still it's still work <laughs> but that's what we do we are creatives and we want our work to be good and we can't make it good unless we actually create it so that's what we do we push forward we record things on our phone as we walk to and from trains and we hope that it's good we hope that it's good enough and that it reflects us enough that people will recognize it and look at it and say, wow, I'll do something like that one day. So that's us. So it is a little past 9.30 at night, the night before episode four is supposed to come out. And I just finished exporting the rough and hopefully final draft of the episode. I'd spent six hours today editing it. Before that, I'd spent four hours at work doing video editing at my internship, and that's on top of the three days that I also work there in the week, and on top of school, which although I just finished because I graduated and was part-time, I know Kat had finals today and then I also know Seth started a new job today and is pulling an 11 hour shift so it kind of goes without saying from a very long semester that we're burnt out and I think this was a cool episode because all three of us unanimously kind of agreed on this topic because we all felt it really hard I think me personally, I learned a lot from Vivian because it was really interesting to hear that she likes to grind because she knows her boundaries and knows her mental limitations and emotional limitations. I really liked hearing that because it's a lesson that I learned because I don't do a good enough job of putting up borders around myself with work life. Granted, you won't find me in the office past six o'clock when I get out and I definitely won't answer 
messages or emails past then, but I definitely do have a hard time just winding down and relaxing after work. So I can definitely relate with Britt and Bianca about having this internal engine of always just needing to create and do more things. And hearing about Colin too was so interesting. I felt so much empathy for him as someone who comes from a family of school teachers and social workers. So it was a very interesting story to hear from him. And to be honest, this episode burnt all three of us out in different capacities, I think, because we had so much going on while we were trying to get this episode done that we were very, very burnt out. So it was good that we all learned something from it, at least. But on that note, we are taking a break from culture for the month of June because we need to rest and rejuvenate and make sure that we are taking care of ourselves so that we can come back and make some better content in the end of the summer. So without anything else further to say, today's episode was written, edited, and produced by myself, Tim Searberger, Seth Zarate, and Catherine Hernandez. Audio editing was done by me, Tim Seberger, and all of the music you heard in today's episode was composed by me, Tim Seberger. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you get your podcasts from the Apple Podcasts app, Make sure to give us a rating and a review. Follow us at Cultured Podcasts and follow us on our personals at tjseberger, at seth.nyc, and at cat with a K underscore. Thanks.